This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Mayor Schneider, the author of The Movement for Self-Healing, an essential resource for anyone seeking wellness. Mayor's book gives specific guidelines for healing back problems, arthritis, multiple sclerosis, breathing difficulties, eye problems, and muscular dystrophy. Movement for Self-Healing parallels the stories of Schneider and the people he has worked with detailing his holistic methods of stimulating the natural healing powers of the body, offering a practical guide to specific exercises, and articulating a profound message of inspiration and hope. Meir was born in Ukraine and moved with his family to Israel at age five. Both of his parents were deaf, and Schneider was born with severe vision problems. After undergoing five major unsuccessful eye surgeries, doctors pronounced him permanently legally blind. At the age of 17, he discovered the work of American ophthalmologist William Bates, who devised a method for natural vision correction through various eye exercises. Schneider started training diligently, sometimes up to 13 hours per day, and saw results very quickly. Within six months, he could recognize objects. Within a year and a half, he could already read without glasses. He would eventually improve his vision to the point of being allowed a driver's license, which he still holds. Recognizing the need for countless other people to improve their vision naturally, Schneider created his own vision healing program, which is now practiced by millions of people around the world. In addition to vision therapy, Schneider has a PhD for his work on muscular dystrophy. His books are bestsellers, and he was listed among the top 10 most inspirational Israelis. To learn more about Mir, please visit his website, self-healing.org. Here is the interview with Mir Schneider. So welcome back, Meir. We spoke not too long ago about so many things, healing, self-healing, and life itself. But knowing that life is movement, I am wondering if you have changed in any way or you have discovered anything new since we talked. So my question is, who is Meir Schneider today? Well, it's very interesting Many things are standing still and many things are changing. 
Mm-hmm. I would say what is standing still right now in the coronavirus time, uh, the practice that I'm so used to is gone because I don't have as much practice. I don't have as much income to help our place uh, thrive and survive. And the difference between now and let's say 40 years ago when I came to this country and, you know, in Tel Aviv, my phone was ringing every two minutes. Clients came. In fact, the chief of staff of Israel in hiding came to me because his back was out and I fixed his back. I worked with him from 12 at night until 2.30 in the morning. I must say, I charged him twice as much, which I was happy to do. But next day he could uh, dance with the prime minister in a wedding. But when I came here, uh, I was so upset. Even though I came to study, I was so upset not to have my clients. And it was hard for me. Now it's a bit different. Here's what's different. Number one, being almost 66, I am so, so happy to have time for myself. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, looking at it instead of a time which is to mourn over, a time of inner recovery. Uh, So on the one hand, it's wonderful that at the age of 66, I'm far from thinking about retirement uh, because I want to keep working with people. But on the other hand, I'm not suffering over not doing it. But what I'm doing is many things for free. For example, since we talked, we had the Spanish language conference on natural vision improvement. And I thought in the question and answers that I will have 10 minutes with a good translator. The the organizer is fantastic in Spanish and in English. I thought I'm going to have a good uh, translator for 10 minutes. But basically 90% of the questions came to me. And even the organizers were trying to get some of the other 10 people. All the Americans did not join them because they don't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. They didn't feel comfortable with translation, but I do uh, uh, because I do it all the time. But uh, I was the only American. But truth of the matter is I was the only one that everybody wanted to speak with. Mm-hmm. So it was supposed to be for two hours. And this is what I like about the Spanish world. It lasted three hours and we hardly lost anyone. Mm-hmm. Here, you know, every answer has to be short and people drop if it's too late and they're all busy. And in the Spanish world is different. You know, there is time for things that they like to have. And so they stayed. Yeah. And one of the nice things that happened is that I did give them good answer. They considered me to be a star. Then I had my own free lecture on cataract. And it is in our YouTube. And people can purchase it for $25. But that lecture had 250 people. So on the one hand, I don't make money like I used to. I don't. And it's worrying because you need to keep your school going and all that. But I'm not worried. And that's the thing that happened to me. I'm not worried. I'm not agitated. Uh, I don't have any space for feeling bad. And I tell you, something hard is happening now. Mm -hmm. And this is that my partner, my girlfriend, uh, Jeanne, who is in in Quebec City, cannot come to to the United States because they closed the borders. Wow. And I cannot come to her. Mm. And um, and uh, on the one end, I could feel very depressed about it. I could feel extremely depressed about it. But on the other end, I'm saying, okay, I don't like it. It's not what I want to see happening. But then I'm spending time walking in the park, talking to the trees, <laughs> bathing in the ocean, having fun. And so I would say that the mayor then is still the mayor now with less anxiety. How about that? 
I love how you're able to, this is what your work is about, uh, transforming yeah, energies, whatever life throws at you, you know how to transmute and transform. Something that happened then still happens now. It's really hard for me to lose the battle for patient's life. Okay. That did not stop. There's something bad about it. You know, you got to be a bit indifferent. Okay. Something good about it. You have innovations in some cases. But uh, that did not change. The compassion, the love to the clients, the need to help them, okay. the need to take care of them. That is true about me from the age of 16. Wow. And that is true about me at the age of 66, 50 years later. That did not change. I used to drop high school and go and work on vision patients, not go to the university and go and work on muscular dystrophy patients. No matter how much it cost me in my grades then, I used to do it then. I am devoted to clients now. No difference in that sense. But the sense of anxiety about my own life and things that I need has gone. And it just gives you a good sense of what is priority. And the priority is helping others, but also helping yourself. And I want to say something about Corona, if I can. Yeah, I don't know. sure. I am sick and tired of what happens right now with, with people. Look, they destroyed the economy of the world. All the fear-mongering people destroyed the economy of the world right now. And you know what it means? If you look at a country like Zambia, instead of having 500,000 people starving, there are 7 million. And so many people are going to food banks right now. So many people's heart is broken because they cannot open their shops. And I don't understand why they stop hair salons and nail salons from opening. Those people learned nothing but cleanliness before they open their shops anyway. Right. Uh, so all of, their, all of their thought is so crazy. And then they start and then they close. So the poor people invested money in making their places very good for, uh, for distancing, and now they have to close again. So I must tell you, I'm very critical over those people. And I must say, even though I always belong to the left, I'm very much against the left right now for doing exactly that, okay? Now, the other thing that I want to say is this. We always talk about those who die from corona. I'm looking at San Francisco Bay Area. 700 people died in what they call corona-related illness, right? Mm -hmm. Let me say that I really believe that only a small part of them, let's say 100, 150 died because they got corona. Most of them would have died a day later, a week later, perhaps a month later, because they already had illnesses that would kill them anyway. So any cold, flu, a mental anguish, anything would have killed them anyhow. Okay. So first of all, there is manipulation in that particular thing. The other thing is, okay, 700 people died. There are 50,000 recorded cases in the Bay Area. Now, some people in the CDC are saying that actually for every case we discover that 20 cases that we didn't discover. Mm -hmm. I like that figure. That means a million people in some way have encountered corona, okay? Yes. 700 dead. And again, I'm telling you, I'm qualifying their death, right? Uh -huh. Because I think that maybe 100 or 150 people died because of corona, full stop. But then the rest, the rest did not die because of corona. 
they would have died anyway. And for a week of their life, all of us have to sit at home and not work. Okay. Mm-hmm. That includes me. Okay. Um, now, um, now the yeah. next thing is if it's 700 out of a million, it's not that many. Okay. And some people are saying, so let's take a look at the next thing. 35% of the people have been discovered in Germany in a good research that they already have immunization against Corona. That mm. means that if Corona attacks them, in that day, the Corona is dying. Oh, they have nice. the lymph and the white blood cells to destroy it, okay? Oh. Now we're down to the 65% that would be attacked with it mm. and would be sick from it, okay? So that's when I call it infection. It's, I don't think it's not an infection if your lymph and your white blood cells already know how to put a hat on that virus and kill it. From those 65%, those who would be attacked, okay, 98.9% of them don't have major symptoms. They go to the bathroom more often. It's unpleasant. They um, have some shortness of breath. They have some fever, some pain. Five days later, they're okay. Uh Now you have the rest of them that are very, very sick, okay? Some of them, unfortunately, have chronic sickness after that. That also happened with flus and colds, by the way. Right. And, and some of them will die, okay? I agree with that. But what I want to talk right now is about the healthy people. We always talk about, oh, don't, cont- don't create contagiousy. Now I'm saying, yeah, wear a mask to protect others indoors. Walk and have distancing. I agree with that. Right. I think it's good for the cold and for corona. No reason why not. Right. But, but. What about the healthy people who get corona? Mm. They get it. They recover from it if they're at all sick. Okay, so they said 35% cannot even be symptomatic, right? So they get symptoms, they get sick. Now they have a stronger immune system. So when the next corona comes, or the next flu comes, or the next problem comes, or cancer comes, mm-hmm. now they have stronger immune system. Sure. I think it's healthy to get corona and recover from it. <laughs> and, and what kills yeah. you? Your immune system kills you. Right. It's not the corona that kills you. Sure. The immune system doesn't know how to create the right immunity, the right hat to that particular virus and squeeze the life out of it, mm-hmm. right? doesn't choke it, right? Right. It's like police walking around and shooting everybody because somebody created a crime. Now they kill a bunch of people, right? Okay. Uh, it's just like we were talking about racism. They go against many people who have different skin just because some of them created crimes. That is really, I, I'm happy that we have response to that. But what I'm saying is the same thing happens in our body. What we need is to strengthen the immune system. And there are wonderful exercises with which we can strengthen the immune system. And I describe them in my book, Awakening, but I hint about them in in, uh, Movement for Self-Healing. And those exercises are such that we uh, contract our sphincters and then relax because what happens is our sphincters are partially contracted all the time. And the reason is, that in case of emergency, and we used to have a lot of emergencies in the jungle, we would have a lot of changes in the body, including suppression of the immune system. It was changes of blood flows to uh, the muscles, not to the skin and not to internal organs, kidneys stop working, pupils widen, everything that you have to do when you meet a lion. But these days you don't meet a lion, you meet lawyers, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's even more important. 
And and what happens is life problems are much more wide and extended. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so what happens is that what happens is that we then hold our tension and our immune system is suppressed because we didn't work out the tension. Like I was explaining in the case of Mr. Solano, that when he started to breathe, he started to feel cold and shivery all over his body. Well, the tension came out. So what happens is we hold tension. We don't let go of that tension. And it's basically our video. It it, it basically goes with us throughout the whole life. Mm. Well, now is the time. I mean, I'm hearing more people eat chocolates. Well, I must tell you, that's my weakness too. (laughs) But more people eat sugars, more people eat chocolates, more people get fat. What are they going to do with the next corona? I mean, we Mm. have to work on our health. We have to to learn from the corona. And there's a few things we need to learn from it. Number one, people didn't understand that masks are a small part of the whole thing. Uh, We need to stop having circulated air. Mm. I think we should have more space heaters in the winter and less circulated air in the winter when many people have the cold. We should stop having air conditioners. Mm. That's how people get sick in Florida and in Texas. Because here's what happens. Uh, Let's say that you walked in the street, you jogged, and somebody passed near you. You didn't turn your head to the side, which you should always do, to the other side, got you some corona, okay? No problem. You'll get corona, some diarrhea, some this, some that. You go home. Within three days, you recover. Okay. Right. Now, let's say you have a partner. To the partner, you brought multitude of corona. And if the air circulates in your home, that amount of virus will go straight to him. Now, it's going to take him three weeks to recover. Right. So, the, the it, and we all know it from kids playing in playground that uh, a sister brought uh, brought uh, a little bit of virus, she recovered in three days, and her brother who slept in the same room, mm-hmm. took two weeks to recover. Right. So the thing is that we need to understand that circulated air is terrible, and most fancy hotels have closed windows with wires. Because of some idiots that committed suicide, all the rest of us have to breathe circulated air. That's crazy, you know? That's much worse than not having a clean surface you lie on. That's my opinion. Because that brings the real virus to you. Uh, So circulated air is one thing. Fear. This is fear-mongering society. Mm. The fear kills you. If you're about to have mild corona, and now you're here in talk show that you're going to die, you're going to (laughs) die. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) That's what I say about corona. We are closing our economies. We are closing everything for the sick, but we're not considering the healthy and we're not thinking and we're not researching what happens to the healthy. And I think the healthy gets healthier. That makes so much sense. Yeah, I love your message and we need to hear that. And that concerns me about the air conditioning situation. So I have to ask you a question. Um, Like Those who live in hot um, environments, um, states like Open the windows, mm. open the windows, yeah. move the fan, and take five cold showers a day. How about that? Five cold showers? Wow. Yeah. Oh, you know what? You can put a bath for the whole day, yeah. do a warm shower, finish with cold, fill your bath, go two hours later, lie in it for exactly 30 seconds, go out, don't wipe yourself too well, so be a bit cooler, and do it 
and that way you don't have any problem. Mm. I mean, if you put the fan on instead of the air conditioner, you save yourself money on electricity, open the windows, put, of course, a screen, otherwise the flies will love you. Uh, but basically, uh, if you have a fan uh, and you took some cold showers, you would feel 10 times better. Your blood will war will cool you nicely, you know, and you'll be fine. I've done it in Israel. I was teaching a class in Israel. It's pretty hot weather there. Yeah. I was in my in my father's home and I used to go and swim in the sea for about uh, 50 minutes at six o'clock in the morning. Wow. I used to then come home around seven, take a warm and cold shower and finish with a nice cold shower. But I cooled my body, you know. The sea is warm in Israel. It's not like a, the cold ocean in San Francisco, right? Right, right? But still, it cools the body because you cool more in the water, right? And um, I ate a nice breakfast and took a walk of about 50 minutes from my father's home to the hotel where I was teaching my training course. They didn't give me a room, so I had to just wash under my arms because you could assume that I sweat in this muggy weather that you have in New York and you have in Florida, right? right, right. And uh, I was teaching. Three hours later, in spite of air conditioning, people felt so hot and so tired. And they were native to that weather. I didn't because mm. I pulled my body in advance. Right. So that's the strategy. I love that. And, and if you have to go to work, then put a cold towel on your neck. That's all. Yeah, I love that idea uh, for the sake of health. So you are actually against air conditioning altogether? Never use it or sometimes? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say altogether. You can put air conditioning when you leave so the place will cool. You can put air conditioner when you're alone, okay? Right. Or if you know for sure that your partner or friends don't have illness, but you are risking yourself with any disease that will that can con that relates to virus and contagious regardless if it is corona covid-19 uh, or it is uh, the bird flu or it is a cold that we know don't know you really risk yourself of getting it if the air conditioner is on that's all i can say about that yeah i'm thinking here about all the stores supermarkets drug stores so what I'm saying, they learned nothing. Right. They learned nothing. Mask distance, mask distance, okay? Right. And then they get sicker anyway, and then they accuse people for not wearing enough masks, but that's not the case. Right, right. They, wear, they, they, they may wear masks and get sick anyway. In fact, I think that if you have circulated air and the air and somehow it trapped within your mask, <laughs> you'll be even sicker. Right. This seems like... Um... Yeah, it's um, it needs to be revised, right? This whole absolutely. Yeah. But the problem is that you have a small program. I wish that you were international oh. and national. We could affect governments for two things. First of all, stop making people miserable. I want my girlfriend. You know, I don't have her. Right. I mean, I have yeah. her eight phone calls a day, but uh, I don't have her uh, near me in my life. Uh, she, I mean, we didn't have conventional relationship. We, you know, she was in Canada and she traveled with me all over the world uh, to teach. And she uh, came very frequently to San Francisco each time, somewhere between 20 days and two months. And uh, right now we are four months apart and you don't know who's going to finish. God, yeah, that's another situation. Yeah. Okay, we'll get this message out there. <laughs>
Yeah, I'll do my best, may you. Thank you. So talk to me about the inspiration and also the intention of writing your book, Movement for Self-Healing, an essential resource for anyone seeking wellness. You know, uh, I want to tell you something pretty funny. I had an immigration problem and um, uh, my lawyer thought I'm going to lose, okay, because um, I um, applied for a category that closed and uh, it related to my work. And I contacted uh, a spiritual teacher. One of my clients knew him. So I contacted him and he meditated for me. And it's interesting, the day that I met the immigration cop, my lawyer was so afraid and I wasn't. And that guy, when we finished said, I mean, those people normally are mean, right? Mm -hmm. When we finished, he said, I have no right to tell you, but I'm all for you. (laughs) And, uh, and my case was resolved. It took some time. It was all kinds of procedure, but it was resolved. And uh, that guy, I met him, but he was not a good student of mine. He did not do his exercises. <laughs> but he said, you have no choice but to write a book. Yeah. And that's what started me to want to write a book. And uh, then I wrote about my life experience because I'm very happy about it because I don't have enough of a formal education. And yet, these days, many physicians study with me. Right. And um, yoga practitioners study with me. And physiotherapists study with me. And many, many people study with me in many different parts of the world because of the contents of my teaching. Right. And that book, in many ways, was like my business card in some ways. Mm. But it, I didn't do it as a business card. I was really bringing up the cases that I had. And it was just wonderful to bring them. You know, like when I bring the case of the man with multiple sclerosis, who was desperate, who was dizzy, who felt so bad. And one day, and don't ask me how I knew it, I take him to the balcony and get him to move his head in rotating motion. And he's dizzy already, right? He moves it a couple of times, he throws up. He becomes completely green. And even with my poor vision, I could see how he became green. had no strength to stand. Take him to the table, massage him, take him again. He moves his head in rotating motion, throws up. After the eighth time, he didn't throw up, he just felt weak. And ever since then, he was not dizzy. How the hell did I know that? I don't know, you know? So the idea was, I guess, to actually get him to do exactly what he's suffering from in order to recover from it, just like they're doing homeopathy. But I did not know anything about homeopathy then, and I just did it, you know. So um, cases like this, you know, I I really feel that with intensive work, when you can contemplate the needs of your clients, you can make a change in the body. How wonderful. That makes me think about intuitive healing. Mm-hmm. So you might be an intuitive healer. Well, but I'm, I'm, I really believe, like the ancient Greek philosophers believed, that life is movement. Okay. You know, Socrates says, you don't enter the river because you change all the time and the river flows all the time. Mm. And I think that everything moves. And what makes us sick these days is that we are stagnant. We're used to the chair that we sit on. We're used to the thoughts that we have. We're used to the rigidity that we always have within us. And that's how we get arthritis. That's how we get multiple sclerosis. That's how we get most of the illnesses that we have. And if we found a way to move out of that way of thinking, we would have totally different life. Free, happy. Look at me. 
I'm 66. Find for me a 20-year-old who would have gone to the ocean with me today and bathed. Right. They're all afraid of it. It's a myth. Right. But they're all afraid of it. It's actually today almost 60 degrees. That's But in the winter, it's 50 degrees, sometimes 48 degrees. Everybody is afraid of the ocean. Wow. And I'm not afraid. I bathe there summer or winter. No, these days being 66, mainly summer and mainly when it's hot. Still, I don't have partners. <laughs> that is amazing. So that says a lot about the mind. This is something that you mentioned in your book that caught my attention. The power of the mind awareness Yeah, when it comes to healing. I'll ask you a question I, in a well, moment. I don't, I don't think I'm a hero after I bathe, <laughs> go to my home, sit in a nice hot bath, <laughs> I crawl all over the world and <laughs> having a lot of fun. So it's <laughs> not like... It's not like uh, uh, I don't have fun, but I have fun to cool myself and I have fun to warm myself. And I simply have fun and I'm allowing my blood to flow all it can. And the result is that I can walk for miles and I don't complain about walking for miles. Even when I'm tired, I can walk. And many people, when they reach their 50s, all of a sudden can't do it. You know that? Yeah. That's crazy. It I is. Think you, should be, yeah. you should be able to do it when 110 if you leave. Yeah, I agree. What a wonderful message. Yeah, I have I, I say that a thousand times. I love everything that you represent. So, yeah, that's that's exactly it. It's the limitations um, caused by the mind. So it's a way of thinking. So for a moment, may you please talk to me about your healing story, growing up blind and coping with blindness. So I was the blind kid of two deaf parents. I was known all over the country of Israel. It's a small country, but especially in Tel Aviv, as the blind kid of deaf parents. Everybody already knew that. All the deaf community knew, but they even remember me as a blind kid. And um, my parents were wonderful people. I must tell you, my parents were fantastic people. Uh, I wish that many, many people would be as compassionate and as wonderful as my parents were, really. And I had a very nice sister. Uh, I must say she was even nicer when she was growing up than um, became established in life. <laughs> it happens to people, right? <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I had a very, very nice sister. And um, I grew up and uh, there was some tension at home, which I'm not going to speak exactly what it was, but it wasn't related to me. And I had to cope with it as a kid. And uh, then I was, I met a kid. Mm, yeah. And I actually didn't even want to meet him. My grandmother says that I should meet him. And she says I'm full of ego for not meeting him. And <laughs> I, was, I was a good kid in high school. I always talked politics. If any kid wanted to punish another kid, he would bring me, him to me and I would say, hey, mayor, this guy does not agree with you. And the guy said, no, 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 no. I didn't say I don't agree with you because they were afraid I'm going to give them a lecture, right? <laughs> so anyway, I, I kind of established myself as a quick the quickest Braille reader in the state of Israel. Kids resented me because often there weren't Braille books for the ninth grade, and they were imposed upon to sit down and read to me stuff after school. On the other end, I came to kids' home and helped them pass tests and help them understand a problem. So it was very interesting that it went kind of both ways. But they didn't like what they had to do, but they liked me helping them. But that, that's that's how it was then. That was the public politic of then. In grammar school, I had a kid who always was after me and I almost was thrown out of school for hitting him. 
after he caused uh, five kids to lie on top of me. Thing like this happened to me. I was pretty aggressive. I also was inappropriate in that I used to to um, be on uh, unfinished building and fall into ditches. I was riding bikes and fall up this, uh, out of stairs. <laughs> oh no! I was hitting trees and hitting people, but you know, all kinds of things like this I used to do. <laughs> and um, so bad kid, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, and then, then what happened is uh, I did meet that kid. His name, I called him Isaac in the book, but then right. his name was Jacob or Yaakov in Hebrew. And he has shown me eye exercises. And as soon as he did, I worked on them between 13 and 16 hours a day. I worked on them when I went to school. I worked on them everywhere I went. And my vision in that time was basically 1%. And it was 4% with glasses. And within six months, it became 4% without glasses. And with a year, within a year, it became 5% and 6%. And right now, depends who measures me. The latest optometrist who measured me saw 45%. But when I was measured by one of my students in a much more relaxed atmosphere, it was 70% of normal vision. And so uh, to explain my situation, I had five cataract surgeries. My two kids also had five cataract surgeries. No, no, that, sorry. My daughter had three surgeries. My son had two surgeries in each eye. Yeah, uh, they. However, their lens was totally removed, unlike mine, and my and most of it is is cartilage. And they were able to develop a normal visual brain. Except, almost anyone who was born with cataract, even if the surgery was fantastic, see about thirty to thirty-five percent vision, sometimes forty percent vision. Mm -hmm. My daughter, ninety-eight percent vision. And my son, one hundred and ten. Mm -hmm. Means he sees the twenty-fifteen line with his glasses. And without glasses, he sees 2080. And my daughter without glasses, I mean, it's 2040, I mean, 2040. And my daughter without glasses sees uh, 2050, which is 75% vision. And he sees 80% uh, vision, even though they don't have their normal lens. And even though my daughter has small cornea, which is called microphthalmic eye, where most doctors were discouraged and didn't even operate on those kids. The difference is they learn that you have to operate at the age of eight weeks. No, sorry, two or three weeks. Because at the age of eight weeks, you start to see. And if you don't see then, you become blind for life. And while doctors experimented on my lens, they went to the wrong place because the brain needs to develop in that time. And that was not known in my generation. I don't fault any of my doctors for that. And I thank them for trying hard to get me to see but they were mistaken, you know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and uh, basically, basically what uh, what I want to say is that in the case of my kids, we went to both situations. We went to the medical profession in the right time, and believe me, it cost me headaches and trepidation. Yeah. But we also did with them eye exercises, and it's at the end of my book that you can see that I'm running and contemplating what happens to my kids and how the doctors cannot explain. How come my daughter sees so well? Right. And that brings me to the topic or the word of movement. So there's a, two questions imposed they, in your book that I have to ask you. Why do we need movement? And what is the correct way to move, Mayor? 
So I really believe that movement is life. I mean, life is constantly moving. I mean, the 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 Earth moving around its own axis quicker than any airplane can fly, right? Uh, the sun moves quicker than the Earth, and the solar system moves quicker than the sun. And uh, so the universe is in continuous movement. It's not sitting still. Every cell moves. I mean, without a good movement of your circulatory system, you're sick and you're dead, basically. So uh, I think that we're, you know, somebody says you can die once or you can die a thousand times. And we die a thousand times by degenerating. So movement is life and life is movement. And um, so the way to move is not by telling, but by asking. Mm. What do I mean by that? We impose on the body rigid disciplines like jump rope a million times, <laughs> yeah. stand on one leg, lift weights, do this, do that, do yeah. that, do this, and etc., etc., etc. Okay, that's what we are being told to do. Right. The real important thing is to listen. There's a very famous author by the name of Therese Bertera. She's not famous in the wide wild world, wide world, but she's famous in the world of movement. And uh, she talked about the Misere method and she said, and it's called the body knows its movement. It's out of print right now, unfortunately, but it it, it was known in the sixties and seventies. Her husband died. He was a psychiatrist by one of his patients. And she started to really believe in the world of movement and start to work there. And she says, your body is your house. You're the landlord, and a long time ago, you lost the keys. I think something is really right about that. Anytime I work on myself, I lie down on the floor, start to do movements, and just like a nice symphony, one movement leads to the other, and the other one leads to the other, the other one leads to the other. Mm. It always goes with the breath that goes with it, and you feel what the body needs at this moment. Mm. And you loosen exactly what the body needs loosening. And you don't allow your body to stiffen and to freeze. And that is the exact opposite of life. In life, we're supposed to sit still. Doesn't matter what the body feels about it. You know, kids uh, are thought to be agitators and uh, bad behavior because they cannot sit still. They feel that the body doesn't want it. You know, so I'm happy with the schools that let kids sit on pillows and cross-legged. That's much nicer. And so the point is, our body needs something different than what we give it. For example, we have more than 600 muscles in the body. We use between 50 and 75 of them. We don't, we're not aware of most of the movement that, that exists for us. Who knows how to move their toes one by one? On the other end, some guitarists can play, uh, like Jimi Hendrix, can play a guitar with their toes. People who are unfortunate and don't have the arms, some of them learn how to feed themselves with their own toes, Ah. how to snatch even a diaper on a baby. And we don't know how to do that. We don't have enough. So think about it. You're standing on your feet all day long with the muscles of the toes basically build most of the flesh of your foot, Mm. and you don't even have enough control over your toes. What do you expect is going to happen? What's going to happen is your ankles will be stiff, which will create stiff knees, which will create... Stiff hips, and believe it or not, but many people need to replace their knees and hips. And then right. your your lower back will get stiff, and then the middle back will get stiff. And what do you think is going to happen then? Lower back gets stiff, and you have indigestions all the time and lower back pain. 
uh, middle back gets stiff and there's problems with the heart and lungs. Mm. And what happens then? The, the shoulders get rigid, the neck gets stiff, the jaws get stiff, wow. and then people have TMJs and dentists makes hundreds of thousands of dollars on every mouth, you know. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but that's... And basically, that stiffness is very dangerous. It leads to strokes and heart attacks and breathing conditions, you know. And now that we have the corona, that's a good way. That's a good way to explain that your body is much more vulnerable to what can happen to it. Right. So one of the things that uh, I want to say about it is that you have to start and learn the movement you normally don't do. When I teach a class and ask everybody to lift the legs sideways mm -hmm. and stay there for a minute, you'd see how much they're straining. They're not used to sideways movement. Mm -hmm. But yet when we climbed our trees, we had to have sideways movement. Mm -hmm. we, you know, yeah. uh, when I was walking with a group of Israeli kids in the Carmel Mountains, we saw all those Druze kids uh, coming to ask money from us because there was a break in the school. They were running bare feet on those rocks. We were complaining about uh, having double socks and special shoes and still hurting in our feet, right? So I don't know if you call it modern or refined, but my goodness, did we lose it as a group of people? On the one end, we live longer. And on the other end, we lost the quality of life. So one thing that I would like to say, strength, is stronger muscles, definitely. But also finding muscles you never knew you had. Ooh. It is better activity of the central nervous system that integrates all the muscles and doesn't allow muscles to be dormant. And that is what you work on, finding the muscles you never knew you had and integrating them with the muscles you always work with. And a stronger immune system. So you see, if you don't have a stronger immune system, you're not strong. Sure. If you don't have integration of the muscles you didn't use before, let me tell you, most bouncers, you know, those very yeah. buff people that could beat up on everybody, <laughs> bar, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> meet them in the 60s and they can't even shake your hands. They're so weak. They're so stiff. They're so sick. And it happens to almost every athlete that they lose it at a certain age. Oh, what a good, strong guy I was, they tell you in the past. Well, that doesn't do anything. I'm 66, and I can bathe in the cold ocean. What do you say about that? I can say that you know a lot about your own body. You're an expert. I love what you said about not telling the body what to do and how to move, but listening to it. Exactly. Building skills to hear it. Mm. Building skills to work yeah. with it. We lost those skills. We don't know what our, yeah. I mean, we, we start to have obsessions for instincts. What instincts do we have? Eat more, eat more, eat more, right? That's the instinct you have, okay? Then we have, um, I won't talk too much about sex, but we have sexual instincts, right? We need sex, we need sex, you know? We don't have the instinct is, oh, you know what? I need a deeper breath. We don't mm -hmm. have the instinct right. is, like, you know, actually I need to move more. We have it a little bit, but we don't have it as much as the body desires. And we basically blocked ourselves from the body. We're in the aspirin age where if you have a headache, you don't want to learn anything from it. You don't want to do anything about it. You just want to take a pill to suppress it. If you have sleeping disorder, you want the pill to stop you from having sleeping disorder. What a mistake. Uh, you should really find a way to sleep in a way that is right for your body. And I give a lot of advice about that. For example, to walk before you go to sleep, to never turn the light on if you wake up, to just listen to transformational uh, tapes, uh, and to feel 
uh, okay with resting and not sleeping until you sleep. Do you connect movement to breathing? Absolutely. I mean, breathing is like the gas that helps you move. How would you move without oxygen? Mm. And how would you get oxygen without breathing? Right. And so the question is, how do you do deeper breathing? Deeper breathing is not a forced one-time breathing act. That's not deeper breathing. It's deeper for now and it is shallower for later. Deeper breathing is slower breathing. Mm, true. The slower you breathe, the better it is. Because then, especially if the exhalation is slow, the brain wants more inhalation. You get more oxygen. Mm. The cells are more ox oxygenated and they bring much more life uh, to themselves and to the body. And that's why I think that in and out breath through the nose with very exceptional time of breathing through the mouth when you exert yourself. But most of the time inhaling slowly through the nose and exhaling slowly, slowly through the nose is the best way to go. It keeps your eyes wet, your mouth wet. It doesn't become dry. It uh, helps your uh, autonomic nervous system to be in line. You have having much better activity of the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the relaxing system. It helps your digestion and it helps your way of thinking because most of us are not free people. We're in prison of old thoughts. You know, it doesn't happen that, uh, and I'm asking right now the audience, doesn't happen to you, the audience, that um, think a thought that you don't want to think, but it comes to your head again, 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 again. A thought that doesn't serve you in any way, but it keeps popping and occurring and occurring, and it rules you. And finally, you do things that that thought demands from you to do, right? That's the point. The point is that we really need to work on sensing ourselves in a much better and a deeper way, better than we ever did. And breathe deeper by breathing slower. And quite often, subtle movement leads to a deeper breathing. What many people think is just a warm-up is what we need to focus on. For example, when you move your shoulder in rotating motion, you want to do it in the smoothest possible way. You know, that kind of, um, it makes so much sense, everything you say. And then we said about toes that we cannot, most of us cannot move one toe at a time. And that's true. I just tried and I couldn't. No, no. Like, oh my God. So yeah. let me tell you about a nice story, which is in my book. I don't know if you already read that. Daphne, that was one of the best stories I've had there. A lady gives me a call. She fell down in Seattle. There was a, she visited friends of hers and they had an unfinished uh, basement. So she came to visit them and she fell with her uh, three-month-old boy to make sure he, because he was in a hands, that he wouldn't get hurt. She allowed her head to hit the ground so he would not get hurt. So he didn't get hurt. But right after that, they called emergency. And right after that, she had double vision. Mm. And the doctors did not think it's going to go away. So she came to me for a week of intensive treatments. And one of the exercises I've given her is to look far the distance. It doesn't work for everyone, but for her it did, because far the distance it was single. And slowly, slowly come near, and then it will start to be double. So go back to the distance, back, back near, back to the distance. It doesn't work. That I have to always invent a new exercise for people with what's called diplopia, double vision, when the eyes don't work together. Because what happens is the eyes start to see at the age of eight weeks to normal people, not me, but uh, normal people, right? But only at the age of four to six months, they start to work together. So it's not as stable. And so what happens is quite often, 
one eye will will look separate than the other eye. That's when you have strabismus or cross-eyedness. But when you get an impact, it's one of the things you can disturb. When you get a stroke, CVA, you know, it's one of the things you can disturb. So in her case, it was nice to work with her. And when she left, she hardly had any double vision. So I wrote about her in my book. So then in my book campaign, I went to East West Bookshop in um, Seattle, and she lived in Seattle, and she waited for me when I came to the lecture and invited me for dinner in her home. She had a wonderful husband and uh, wonderful three kids, and he was also a very hospitable. And she told me that whatever double vision she had, and I wrote about her, her in my book that she still had a little bit of double vision, totally within a year disappeared. So that was a very interesting story of somebody who had a bad concussion, double vision, and the double vision disappeared. So you have a lot of those stories I know there, and I talk to you off record. I would love to have them uh, somehow out there because this is a wonderful message of self-healing, but it's the power of the body. So the body can heal itself. We don't need medications. We don't need complicated treatments. In most cases. Most cases, right? Yeah. yeah. So let me just say something that I have many newer stories. For example, a story about a kid with spinal bifida, which is basically that uh, the spine doesn't close and there's incredible swelling in the, uh, in the root of the spine and it puts pressure on the kidneys and other places. So the doctors do a very important surgery. They remove the fluid and they fuse the vertebrae. The problem is modern medicine does not know any way to prevent hurting some nerves. So they hurt some nerves that go down to the feet and they have all kinds of problems like club foot, like the foot is bent and cannot straighten and they straighten it with surgeries. Well, first of all, I had a kid who couldn't crawl. Well, we worked with him on crawling. I taught his parents to imitate crawling, right leg with left foot, uh, with left, uh, sorry, right hand with left leg, uh, left hand with right foot. And while first session he couldn't crawl, the second session we didn't know how much we have to move out of his way because he was really crawling and crawling and destroying everything in his way, right? <laughs> then he couldn't be walking. So I got his father to walk with him in the bath and let, later on in a, in a shallow pool to hold him and he was walking and he started to walk normally. And instead of all those surgeries, I've straightened his foot. So what I want to say is that we did a fantastic work on getting him straighter. And I had other spinal, I had one spinal bifida kid that um, the doctor wanted to break his knee in order to straight, put it in braces. Oh, wow. And I really opposed it because it was uh, tight. And we were able to get fundraiser. And then the doctor finally was convinced by the brace maker to allow the braces. They put the braces and nobody needed to break his knee. And we have a story, an ancient story of mine, of Rivka. You should read that story. It's beautiful. A polio patient who we were able, I was betting, I was then, believe it or not, I was in my early 20s. What was it? How old was I? I don't even remember. I think 21. And I didn't have much income, you know, but I tried to ask the, the orthopedic surgeon to make her braces. And he said, I'm not doing it. She has a bent knee. I'm going to break the knee so it will fit to her brace because she keep breaking her braces. I said to myself, what kind of a treatment is that, right? So 
he wanted to bet with me that in eight months her leg will be straight or else I have to pay for the braces. I was thinking about it. I said, let's do it for two years. He said, get out of here, you charlatan. So I, uh, I was shocked, but his uh, family was behind me. Her family was behind me completely. And we worked on her and we were able to uh, make her arm work better, but we were able to get enough funds with a radio show that we had to get her braces. Can you believe it? Yeah. And then we got her braces and she was able to walk with the braces. And the last that was, she was able to climb upstairs with those braces. And her knee became straighter. And uh, my friend, Vered, who you probably will find in my book, Movement for Self-Healing, uh, said to me, you should have bet after all. And I said, no, it's good I wasn't under that pressure because it didn't take eight months. It took six months and the leg was straight. <laughs> I've got to do something with those stories <laughs> in the sense of creativity, videos, something. Uh, those are powerful. We need to hear them more. So get inspired to understand that we can't heal. Like you said, not all of us. Even if you can heal, sometimes you need to have a complicated medical treatment. Mm, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. You know, it's a, but first of all, the medical profession doesn't give us enough credit for the healing powers we have. True. And they over-medicate us. And one of the reasons that so many people suffer from corona, pay attention. In Africa, fewer people suffer from it than here, right? Except in South Africa, right? So why? Why is that the case? Here and in Israel, they suffer less because of all the antibiotics we take. When the antibiotic fixes, it's one thing you take penicillin because you really need it. It's another thing you take it because it's easier for you to heal with it. So if you overtake all those medications, you know what happens to you? You're basically destroying the capacity of the immune system. We have a bacteria that is in a quarter of humanity that we inherited from a tiger. It's, it's called Hilcobactopyloric, and it's a known one, right? And basically, you can cure it with antibiotic because it's bacteria. You can't cure with virus with antibiotic. But, but, but what you do is you then destroy the immune system of the body. And as you destroy the immune system of the body, all of a sudden you get asthma and other problems. Do you think that there will not be problem with the vaccine that we get for corona? We're going to have so many more mononucleosis. We're going to have so many more autoimmune illnesses. What do you think? That there's free lunch in the world? Right. So what I want to say is that, yes, some things we have to fix aggressively and with invasion. And sometimes medical treatment makes sense. I know of one wonderful uh, practitioner of vision that had urine, uh, uterine cancer and refused to remove it and wanted to fix it uh, naturally and died from it. That doesn't make sense. So we removed her uterus and we still have a wonderful teacher of natural vision improvement. Sometimes you have to go the other way, but sometimes, not most of the times. And we have to find out when we need to and when we not need to. And with no discrimination, people are writing too many pills. Mm, right. And people demand too many pills. I think it's wrong for you to demand pain-killing pill from your doctor. I think the opioid crisis starts with mm -hmm. the fact that when I had a wisdom tool, I had a wisdom tooth that broke and then they pulled it. 
And immediately they want to give me medication. I said, what do you need medication for? Yeah. If I have pain because you removed my tooth, you put me under anesthesia, then the anesthesia made sense. You pulled part of the tooth, it should hurt. You know what? It was slightly sensitive, didn't hurt at all. Wow. But she would have given me medication on which acudicity then depend, you know? True, so true. the point is you have a headache, fine, why you have a headache? How is your digestion? How is your personal life? Mm. Do you exercise enough? Don't just get rid of the headache mm. with an aspirin. It reminds me of one lady who had contact lenses that did not fit her. So she hurt from wearing them, so she took aspirin not to feel it. I mean, that is so symbolic to what most of us do. We do things that cause us pain, and then we try to kill the pain instead of learn from the pain. Hmm. What a great lesson, boy. Yeah, I, I have to say the message is so true, profound, and we need to hear this. It's almost like a reminder, too. We need to be reminded. That's one thing, a habit that I don't have myself, but I know that a lot of people out there, they need to be reminded. My family members, uh, my husband, everyone. So that's great that you keep saying that. Uh, we're almost at the end of the interview. I have one technical question for you, Mayor. But before that, would you like to add anything? Yeah, I want to say that peace and quiet within you is very important, no matter how your life is. And now in the time of Corona, when the governments caused us to close down, whether we like it or not, and personally, I don't like it, it is a time to be as peaceful as you could be, no matter what. Be a peaceful warrior for your life. That's important. Movement is the way. Movement, not simple exercises, movement. The movement from within that leads to more activity. Because for me, movement is not simply motion in space. It's that too. But it is actually getting more and more connection between your brain and parts of your body that you never used. So it is actually waking up the central nervous system, calming down the peripheral nervous system. That's what real movement is. And it comes with breath and it comes with consciousness. So then running is easy. Walking is easy. Living weights is easy. For example, if you lift weights, don't leave them with all your strength. Don't use muscles you don't need for, for the form of the movement you're lifting, but just lift the muscles, lift the weights that the specific muscles would work for and start to lift weights with muscles you normally don't use. So you will be balanced because true strength is balance and that we can recover from multiple sclerosis. We can prevent muscular dystrophy from exacerbating. We can have the right physiotherapy for arthritis that doesn't work these days. When more people die from anti-arthritic medication than from all illegal drugs put together, uh, we can definitely prevent all back pains from happening if we are dedicated to not sit all day, to not just walk with shoes on cement, but walk bare feet on grass, on carpets. We need to understand that change is breath. The more you change your setting, the deeper you breathe. And uh, this is one of the most important things. What gets you to breathe deeper is your brain demanding more breath. And we should accept the fact that we are powerful. This is one thing that Nelson Mandela said, which I think is so true. It's harder for us to accept how powerful we are than to believe we're losers. So I think we should accept our power in all situations and never, ever give up on being more alive. 
Thank you so much again and again for your profound wisdom and your presence. Thank you, Mayor. And my final question is, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Please support us right now. We need more books both right now and uh, more programs and support yourself through supporting us and tell friends about us. So our website is www.self-healing.org, www.self-healing.org. Uh, you can write to office manager at self-healing.org. Uh, our phone number is 415-665-9574. And we want to hear from you and your friends. And please tell about this show and many other places in your Instagram, in your Facebook, everywhere. So you can really make our work more known. It's not known enough. And the whole world of rehabilitation must change from rehabilitations to habilitations, mm. from rehabilitating, from being sick and vulnerable to becoming strong. And on the one end, allowing yourself to be vulnerable mentally and being stronger physically. Mm. What a wonderful message. Thank you so much again, Mayor, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. <laughs> Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Mir Schneider, please visit his website, self-healing.org. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.